For our crypto clip segment today, I'm joined by Jamie Benedetti, a certified financial planner and one of our founders and partners at the firm to discuss the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. Uh, And a quick disclosure is that if we are referencing cryptocurrency in client portfolios, that's only applicable to Benedetti, Gooser, and Associates and not Beam Wealth Advisors. Uh, So as always, we like to start with an icebreaker. Uh, And so last segment, we did a recommendation for a show or movie with Jeff. Um, So we're going to switch it up, keep it on the recommendation side, um, but a book recommendation if you have one, Jamie. All right. There are so many books I want to talk about, but there's two that are top of mind, one that I've read and one that I want to read and haven't read yet. So um, the one I would recommend highly, highly is called Sapiens. It is about, it weighs about 200 pounds. It's a giant book, but it's actually a pretty easy read. It's, it's absolutely fascinating and kind of challenges a lot of the notions you had about um, how humans evolved, like mm. really fascinating book. So Couldn't put it down. It's about evolution? Um, it's kind of like a condensed history of the world and it, 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 is, it is about evolution and it's kind of about how the human species, in, in particular Homo sapiens, developed over you know, millennia. But uh, there's a lot of things that we sort of take for granted or yeah. think happened one way that were really very different and it just... It just uh, was very, very eye-opening. Huh. Interesting. And then we'll- way more interesting than it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other book, which I'm going to recommend, even though I haven't read it, but it's on my reading list, is called Outlive. And that's by Peter Atia. He's this uh, really sort of celebrity-ish longevity doctor. He's got a podcast and he's got a bunch of celebrity clients and um, just really, really smart guy. And he focuses on long- longevity, on kind of living, not just living longer, but having a, what he calls a, a longer, um, I think he, he refers to it as a lifespan, but yeah. basically it's not just living to be 120, but it's also like having a good quality of life at hundred and 110. And he talks about a lot of the things that, um, that, you know, you can do to improve that. Exactly. The goal isn't to live longer. It's to live longer, healthier, I think. So, exactly. um, well, well, that's good. Um, I think those will, will definitely be good ones to to check out. Uh, that was, I'm really curious, Arsh. What were the other book recommendations? What, what did the other team members recommend? Well, you, that's you're the only one to to get that that icebreaker. So we, we switch up the icebreaker each time. But I'm the dorkiest one, so I figured. <laughs> I saw the big stack of books at at your desk. So I figured you were you're a good one to ask for that. But we had some some big news in crypto this week, so let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Map Your Money podcast, a production of BGA Teams. We exist to simplify the lives of our clients and listeners and help you lay the course to meet your financial goals. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. All right. So before we kind of jump into BlackRock, I want to kind of retouch on a prior episode um, where we had where we kind of explained how we got exposure into cryptocurrency. Uh, And part of the investment thesis was that we were kind of expecting a spot ETF to eventually be approved. So I think that's kind of important for setting up the landscape before we we jump into BlackRock. Yeah, absolutely. So there's different ways to get exposure to crypto. I mean, obviously, we could just go open up a Coinbase account and buy cryptocurrency. And theoretically, we could do that for our clients, but it's very problematic in addition to just being operationally complex. Um, 
a big part of the problem is we want to have a, a very small position and we want to have it as part of a broader portfolio. So if we go to Coinbase or Kraken or one of the exchanges and open an account uh, for a client, it's really difficult to do some of the basic investment stuff that we do every day in a portfolio, like rebalance. And with crypto being so volatile, rebalancing is even more important. It's this basic idea that when something is up, we want to trim it, take the gains, and we want to reinvest it in something that's down. It's a very basic principle that most individual investors do backwards because it's very much against human nature, right? Like this is the only industry where if you raise the price of the product that's for sale, people want to buy more of it. Mm -hmm. And if you lower the price, people want to sell it or buy less. Um, it, you know, it kind of is counterintuitive. If you think about anything else, like if you went to the grocery store and milk was two for one, you might buy two gallons. And if it was twice as much, you might hold off. Um, with investments, it's the opposite. And so rebalancing is what really allows us to take that emotion out. It's not that we know what's going to go up or down. It's that we're, we're trying to stick to certain percentages in a portfolio. And so, having one piece of the portfolio somewhere else makes it really difficult to rebalance. And that's part of the reason that having something like an ETF is so important because you can now get exposure to crypto within a client portfolio. A secondary reason that having something like an ETF is important is not just operationally, um, but also if you think about where most people have most of their wealth, where, where is that? in an IRA yeah. or a retirement plan, right? Most people save in their 401ks. That's where most of their money goes. And if I wanted to put some of that at Coinbase, again, really problematic. I got to take a withdrawal. I'm going to pay a penalty on it. Um, there are some platforms that allow you to invest IRA money with some of these custodians. But again, it's early days. It's operationally very complex. And so that's why having a product like an ETF is, is such a big deal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so also, I know that was kind of a challenge that we had and we wanted to, to get clients exposure. And so what, what was the way that, that we did that in, in kind of expecting sort of a spot ETF or an ETF to eventually come out to where we purchase at this huge discount, which we've talked about in the past. Can you, can you kind of touch on that, that discount to net asset value that, that we were able to, to purchase? Yeah, I guess I never really answered your question, Arish. <laughs> I guess to, to answer it appropriately, we got to talk about what are the available options now, right? So um, one option is what I mentioned. We could buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies direct on these exchanges. But as we mentioned, that's really problematic. And for a lot of other reasons, we don't want to do it that way. There's uh, just, it's, uh, we don't want to take on that type of risk. Um, another option are private trusts. So the benefit to using a, a, a a private trust is that you're getting institutional grade security. Uh, it's custodied at one of these major exchanges, you know, likely Coinbase custody or, or some of the other ones. Um, but the downside is that it's typically a liquid. Now, that may not always be the case. It may be liquid, uh, but there are also very high minimums. It might be a $50,000 minimum investment, and you can only use it with uh, clients that meet certain suitability requirements, typically very high income or net worth requirements. So you can't do it for the typical client who maybe only wants to put a small amount of their portfolio in. You can't make a $2,000 investment in this or even a $10,000 investment. So that was an option that we ruled out. You also have you know, the rebalancing issues with that. And what we ultimately decided on was the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust 
the Grayscale Ethereum Trust, and then the Bitwise uh, Crypto 10. All of these are essentially private trusts that trade on the secondary market. So if I wanted to buy shares of this, pri- of the let's use the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. If I wanted to buy these shares directly from Grayscale, I'm subject to all the investor minimums uh, and, and, and the requirements. But these same shares trade on the secondary market, and we, we're not subject to those minimums, and we're not subject to the, you know, to the um, Reg D requirements. And that's because now I can buy 2,000 shares of this. What's interesting about it, though, is trading on the secondary market, these shares can trade at a premium or at a discount to the underlying value of the Bitcoin or the Ethereum or, the, you know, or whatever cryptocurrencies they trade. Now, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust has a pretty long history, and initially it traded at a, at a pretty significant premium. In other words, people were willing to pay more for these shares than the underlying value of Bitcoin. This was happening during the last bull run, uh, and and it was because there just wasn't another way to gain access inside of an investment portfolio, and a lot of people were speculating that the price was just going to continue to go up. Uh, More recently, over the past year, year and a half, shares have been trading at a deep discount to, to the underlying value of the Bitcoin. And that's a big part of the reason we chose to buy this product because we feel like it adds another margin of safety. We're buying these shares, you know, anywhere from a 30 to a 50% discount to the underlying value of the actual Bitcoin or the actual Ethereum, or in the case of the Bitwise Crypto 10, a basket of the top 10 cryptocurrencies by market cap. Yeah, I think that's such a huge point and just want to kind of clarify that. And so you mentioned it originally, uh, it was trading at a premium to the underlying asset of, of Bitcoin. So let's say Bitcoin was 20000 That means buying this Grayscale Bitcoin trust, for example, could have cost $25,000. Um, however, uh, now and, and, and for a while now, it's been trading at this, this big discount to that, that underlying asset. So if Bitcoin was still at that 20000 mark, uh, we, you could buy the, the Grayscale Bitcoin trust at, at $15,000. Um, and so kind of getting, and, and those are arbitrary numbers and, and that I just kind of pulled. Yeah, but but as an example to to walk through that, let's say that the price of Bitcoin is twenty thousand, mm-hmm. and that the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is trading at a fifty percent discount to NAV. You're effectively getting Bitcoin for ten thousand when the actual yeah. price is twenty. Now, in reality, and this is very important to point out, um, you don't benefit from that because you can't. There's no way to redeem the underlying to redeem the actual Bitcoin. You can only sell the shares for what people are willing to buy them for. But our thesis is that eventually a Bitcoin ETF will be approved. And when that happens, that discount to NAV will close because of the the way that ETFs function. You're allowed to create and redeem shares. Um, And this is a long-term investment. And for that reason, we felt like it adds a margin of of safety long-term for our clients. Exactly. And, and kind of with that ETF, that's a, it's a great segue to, to kind of the purpose of, of this conversation and, and the big news that, that we've gotten recently is with this BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. So BlackRock uh, basically filed uh, with the SEC uh, their Bitcoin ETF. And so there's been other filings through the SEC from different companies for ETFs. So I guess my, my question is, why is this such a big deal now that, that BlackRock is filing? Uh, and- so, so we sort of have to look at the history because there have been numerous companies that have filed applications with the SEC for a spot Bitcoin ETF. And when I say a spot ETF, it means that it, it's actually buying Bitcoin. Um, 
they've all been rejected. At this point, I've lost track. I mean, I think a year or so ago, there were over 15 applications sitting on the SEC's desk. I think it's over 20 now. And these aren't um, Joe Schmo filing the applications. These are very large investment companies that have you know, hundreds of mutual funds or ETFs active, you know, that are in existence, Sorry. right? They've all been denied. Yet the SEC has approved futures-based ETFs. So right now you can buy a Bitcoin ETF, but it doesn't actually own Bitcoin. It tries to track the Bitcoin price by buying Bitcoin futures. The reason that the SEC allowed this, it really has more to do with regulatory clarity and maybe some political jockeying behind the scenes because it's not clear who has regulatory authority over Bitcoin. It is clear who has regulatory authority over Bitcoin futures. And so the SEC has approved a Bitcoin futures ETF, which is actually an inferior product. It's more costly. Traders front run these futures contracts, meaning um, to get exposure, that ETF has to have these futures contracts, which roll over. Those futures contracts expire, and then they have to buy new futures contracts. And it tracks the price of Bitcoin pretty closely. But there can be some big discrepancies. And, um, and so what's actually happened since then is Grayscale, who has arguably, I think they have the largest bit private Bitcoin trust, has sued the SEC, essentially saying, hey, you're, you're applying different standards. And that lawsuit is ongoing. Um, it appears that Grayscale is doing very well and that it is, it's likely that they would win that lawsuit with the SEC. If that were to happen, I believe uh, the court will go back to the SEC and say, hey, your reasons for not allowing the, the Grayscale ETF aren't valid. You either need to allow it or you need to give them other reasons why, why you, you can't allow it. So uh, that's going on in the background. Now, why is the BlackRock ETF application so significant? Uh, there's been sort of a wave of political pressure on the crypto industry. And then out of nowhere, BlackRock, who is the largest asset manager in the world, files for a Bitcoin ETF. So um, Simultaneously as this happened, several other very large institutional um, investment firms simultaneously invested in a new crypto exchange called EDF. EDX. Um, that's, I think, Fidelity, and I could be wrong. I believe it's like Goldman Sachs, a couple other, a co- couple other companies. This has all sort of happened simultaneously within the span of a couple of weeks. So the speculation is that BlackRock either knows something that the rest of us don't know, uh, because it's not likely they would apply for a Bitcoin ETF if they didn't think they were going to get approved. I don't, don't quote me on this, but I believe that BlackRock has applied for 496 ETF applications and 495 of them have been approved. Wow. So that's the speculation right now is that BlackRock wouldn't have filed this if they weren't going to get approved. And there is something materially different about the BlackRock application. And that's it. They have um, proposed a surveillance, a surveillance sharing agreement with NASDAQ, um, which basically facilitates the flow of information on the exchange uh, between NASDAQ and the SEC and sort of addresses, at least in theory, addresses the SEC's concern about market manipulation. 
in the Bitcoin market. So this is the first Bitcoin ETF application that has been filed with a surveillance sharing agreement. Simultaneously, several other large fund managers have refiled in the same manner, again, speculating that this will be approved. Sure. And so I know it's still speculation on on whether this will get approved. Like you mentioned, there, there's been a lot that have been denied uh, in the past that that have filed, but you, you mentioned kind of some of the reasons that that this one might be different. Uh, and so I kind of want to spend some time talking about what would happen. Let's say it does get approved. What what does that mean for the landscape? What what would happen to uh, kind of that that grayscale Bitcoin trust that we talked about earlier? Um, what what would kind of Bitcoin look like in in general in in terms of the way people get exposure to it? Sure, and I think uh, another thing to mention is. M- m- some of this is arguably conspiracy theory, but remember, there's a lot of political machinations happening behind the scenes. Um, there's different government agencies sort of jockeying to have the authority over Bitcoin, the SEC being one of them. And this grayscale lawsuit is not going well for the SEC. Uh, if they were to lose this lawsuit, it doesn't look good for them. And so another theory, because the timing of this is very suspect. So another theory is that this allows the SEC to save face because if they approve this BlackRock ETF, they can go back to the courts and say, see, look, we actually have approved an ETF and this is the way that you've got uh, to reapply if you want to be able to convert the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an ETF. Um, and so, so that's, that's speculation, but it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. given everything that's going on. Now, it's not, a, it's not a foregone conclusion. It's very possible the SEC denies the BlackRock ETF, but I think that there is a, a pretty good chance that it gets approved. Now, your question is, what happens? How does this play out? Yeah. Well, a couple things would happen. Um, one is the gap between the net asset value of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and the underlying value of the Bitcoin will go to zero because Grayscale has said they want to convert this into an ETF. Um, they would likely reapply, get approved. Now that becomes an ETF. And ETFs can create and redeem shares. And they do this uh, just to make sure you don't see this type of arbitrage. So basically in this scenario, if shares are trading at a 30% discount, they would simply redeem shares and take possession of the, dis- of the Bitcoin until that, that gap closed. So that's the first thing that would happen. Uh, the second thing is likely is that the price of Bitcoin, again, this isn't guaranteed, but the price of Bitcoin would likely go up because there would be a lot of buying pressure on Bitcoin. All of these other Bitcoin ETFs that are futures-based products would likely convert to spot products. Right now, they're buying Bitcoin futures. They would take all of that money and they would reinvest it and own actual Bitcoin because it's a less expensive and more efficient way to get access to the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's a huge point with kind of the inflows you would see into the asset class. There's kind of been such this this big barrier to entry um, within cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. You have to go through these different platforms, whether it be Coinbase or or whatever it might be. You couldn't have done it through the typical custodian platforms um, that that we all know and and have used for forever, like Schwab, Raymond James, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, whatever it might be. Uh, and, and that would, would kind of go away and that barrier to entry would go away. Uh, and, and therefore, a lot of people, retail investors, and then also money managers would, would have the ability to start incorporating that more and more uh, and more inflows 
uh, leads to, to price appreciation. And I think it would create a virtuous cycle because it's important to understand here that if you Bitcoin purists would say, well, you're not really getting the full benefits of Bitcoin. You don't actually, it's not self-sovereign. You don't actually have possession of it. All of that is true. But there are a lot of people that simply want exposure to Bitcoin from a price standpoint as part of their portfolio. And that's, in a way, that's the thin end of the wedge. If, and it will help get mainstream adoption. Now, now that you have Bitcoin in your portfolio, you start paying attention to it. It's kind of like the new car theory. You, you watch its price appreciation over time. And then I think then making that next step to actually um, opening an account at Coinbase or Kraken and, and setting up your own wallet with your own private keys and own, you know, it, it, it sort of onboards a lot of people into Bitcoin. It, exactly. And it kind of becomes another like tool in a toolkit per se, a, another way to diversify your portfolio, regardless of whether you think it's kind of going up, down or sideways. It's another asset class. And I think it should at least be considered uh, in your overall portfolio. And now there's a much easier way to kind of consider that in your your overall portfolio, uh, which which is really a, a game changer there. So we'll see how all this plays out, but it's it's really exciting times. No, no, definitely. And I, I appreciate you coming on and, and kind of giving us the, the lay of the land and, and explaining what's going on. Uh, the last thing I, I just wanted to, to hit on is is kind of with with how this plays out. And, and if we do see this uh, approval of a, a spot ETF, wh- whether it be BlackRock or, or through another company, kind of this this combination of traditional finance and decentralized finance. Um, so TradFi and DeFi. Uh, for for short, and so uh, I know there there are a lot of good managers on on the TradFi side, and, and a lot of good managers on the DeFi side, and and I would say there there are very few that that kind of do a good job in in managing both. Uh, and so, if you wanted to to quickly touch on kind of how we can manage, I guess the the lever between TradFi and DeFi, and and how that becomes more and more prevalent as it becomes a, a bigger part of people's portfolio and ability to invest in it. Sure. I think it, first off, it's important for people to understand the differences, right? Yeah. So when we refer to TradFi, I think what most people are referring to is using a centralized custodian or institution as an intermediary. When we refer to DeFi, it means you, you, you're disintermediating that institution. Right. You own your assets. They're self-sovereign. No one can take them away from you. And you're using smart contracts or code to transact, to do things like borrowing and lending. Um, and there's real benefits to that because that's essentially how banks make money. You deposit money in the bank, uh, they pay you 2% and then they loan it out at 7% and they keep the difference. Well, DeFi gives you the ability to do that through code where you can deposit your funds, someone else wants to borrow them, they're willing to pay you an interest rate and you get to keep that interest rate. So it's very, very powerful. Uh, but I view this as a spectrum. I think that self-sovereignty is very important. It is great for a lot of people, but there are certain assets and probably certain individuals that would say, I am perfectly fine having a central intermediary hold my money so that I don't have to worry about, well, because if it's self-sovereign and you're your own bank, well, guess what? You're also your own bank security. Yeah. And you've got to make sure that those assets are protected because if if you mess up and you lose them or if you get hacked, um, there's no there's no one that's going to come in and save you. And so 
it's sort of a spectrum. There's certain things where you might want self-sovereignty for, and there's other things where you might say, no, I'm, I'm willing to, to use a, an intermediary. Yeah, no, that, that is very interesting and, and kind of plays into to the overall picture. Um, but it'll be interesting to, to see how we progress from here. And if we do see uh, this, this Bitcoin, uh, BlackRock Bitcoin ETF get approved uh, and, and where we go from there. But I uh, appreciate you, you coming on, Jamie, and providing your insights. It was definitely very valuable to, to kind of get a lay of the land there. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Arsh. Of course. All information provided through this presentation is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice. It is not an offer to buy or sell any security or any insurance product. This is not an endorsement of any third party or such third party's views. The information contained herein has been obtained from sources we believe to be reliable and is not guaranteed as to its accuracy or completeness. Whenever there are references to third-party content, this information is intended to provide additional perspective and should not be construed as an endorsement of any services, products, guidance, individuals, or points of view outside Benedetti, Gusser & Associates, and Beam Wealth Advisors. All examples are hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only. Benedetti, Gusser & Associates, and Beam Wealth Advisors do not offer tax or legal advice. Interested parties are strongly encouraged to seek advice from qualified tax and or legal experts regarding the best options for your particular circumstances. What was the trigger for shaving? I don't know. Just wanted to switch it up. It's, it's funny because I had the opposite trigger and I grew a beard. And- <laughs>